The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, how about those cubbies? <laughs> I know, it's amazing. You know, after 71 years, 71 years of hoping and groaning and suffering and complaining and uh, the Bible would use the words losing heart and growing weary. Now, why? Why would you lose heart and grow weary? You know, last night my phone was just exploding with texts and some of you know David Darner. He it's just a running text commentary through every Cub game. And uh, so Dave Darner sends me a text. At the, at the very end, he sent me a text. Jeff, I have waited my entire life for this moment. Serious. I've waited my entire life for this moment. Folks, that is the definition of eschatology. It's something that you have waited for your entire life. It's something that you are putting your hope in. You know, there's so many things in life, I think, that grab our attention. And if it's not the right thing, we lose heart and we grow very, very weary. Let me just ask a, a quick question. How many of you are ready for this election to be over with? Any, anybody? 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 Yeah, you're at the point where you're, you're so weary of it. You're, you're losing heart over it. And the reason you grow weary and the reason you lose heart is because you're, you're putting your eyes on a political system. You're putting your eyes on a political leader. You're putting your eyes on a certain economy or what you think should happen, should happen or shouldn't happen. Or you're putting your eyes on, will the Cubs make it or will they not? Will the Hawks win? Will they not? Well, in the words of Andy Stanley, knock it off! <laughs> he said, you know, you're scaring the children. <laughs> and that really is what happens when we get faint and grow weary and heartstruck over certain things, we're communicating to everybody around us what really matters most in life. We're communicating that to the world. And the truth is, be it the Cubs winning, or who's sitting in the White House, or who's elected to the Supreme Court, that's not the end of the world. Nothing could be further from the truth. None of those things are even remotely comparable to the loving God that created us and loves us and had sent his son to die for us, to redeem us, to forgive us, to adopt us, to equip us, to unleash us, to give us purpose in life, to escort us into a, a, an eternity with him. None of those things even remotely compare to those things. And the great news is the encouragement in all of life is that's where we need to fix our eyes. Now, let me quickly say, it, I am not saying those other things are not important. I am not saying 
that it's wrong to get involved in the political process. That it's, you should get involved in the political process. You should vote. You should care. Okay? Hear me. You should vote. You should care. I'm not saying it's not important. It is important. I'm not saying the Cubs making it or not making it to the World Series is not important. It is important. You know, it is important that the, you know, those things, they're, they're fun. They're good. Our political system in our country is very important. What I am saying is, but you don't fix your eyes on them. You fix your eyes on, let me read it, Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. He even went not just through 71 years of drought, he went, he endured the cross. He didn't just go through a corrupt government or bad leaders or you know, terrible health care or whatever you want to complain about. He endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and so that you will not lose heart. That is a foundation of our future. That is the foundation of what the Bible calls hope. Now, when the Apostle Paul was talking about this, when he was talking about hope, listen, the people he was talking to, Thessalonica, it was written about, oh, 50, 51 AD. It was about the very time during the Julio-Claudian dynasty that Caligula and Claudius and Nero were ruling in Rome. And the people of the day, the Christians of the day, were going through the most discouraging circumstances remotely imaginable. When these people became Christians, and when they were baptized, it was a public declaration. They were virtually signing their death warrant. Caligula was horrendous ruling at this time. I mean, they would, for sport, they would take Christians into arenas. And the people would beg Caligula not to send the lions and the leopards on the Christians because they killed way too quickly. Please use bears and wild dogs because it takes longer to kill them. They wouldn't think twice of running a sword through an infant or your child or a baby or your wife. Wouldn't think twice about it. And so this was the life that these people were living under, what they were experiencing. This is the reason, I mean, baptism back then was so critical. Again, it was a death warrant. So, I mean, they urge people, don't even consider it until you've been a Christian for three years. Make sure you understand what you're doing. So when they, were, when they got baptized back then, they would baptize them three times. They would baptize them once, and then they would give them a theological quiz, an ordination. Again, they would continue the ordination three times. I mean, they had to be theologically astute 
to even get baptized. There are some people who would even urge them not to get baptized until they were 40. I understand that pushes it a little bit. But you can see the importance of it, what they were going through. This is why just within the few first hundred years of the church, this is why, you know, today you, some people uh, perform infant baptism. It's because their children were being slaughtered. And baptism was so important that they urged them, can't we baptize our kids? That's what started it, the severe persecution. So they were going through some pretty tough times. And most of the people in these churches had close friends, relatives, kids, family members who had been killed for their stance with Jesus Christ. And they're wondering, I don't want to grow weary. I don't, I, I don't want to be faint. Well, what's going to happen? What's the future? And you think we have it tough going through 71 years of the Cubs not going to the World Series? Or that, gee, we might have to suffer through four years of a president we don't like? And so Paul says, look, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have bit, have bit it. We don't want you to grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Folks, listen. We desperately live in a world that needs hope. I mean, in a very micro fashion, you think of a 71-year drought of the Cubs and the hope that they needed. You think around the world on a worldwide basis, the kind of hope people need. Um, you know, whether it be professionally or economically or socially or personally or politically. Again, I, please understand, I am not saying that those things are not important. They are important. Our political system is very important. How, you're, how you are doing personally and physically is very important. How your job is going, how you're surviving economically is very important. I'm not saying it isn't important. Just don't fix your eyes on that. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. So Jeffrey Paul, son number two, son number one, child number three, Jeffrey uh, and Dana and their two little kiddos living in Texas, was out in the backyard. And right across the street from them, there's a, a wonderful older couple. They're probably in their mid-80s, something like that, early to mid-80s. And... Uh, his name is Tion, incredibly dedicated, meek, mild pharmacist, um, but dedicated Christian. And his little wife, Ella, uh, plays concert piano, just a beautiful couple. Uh, sweet, sweet, sweet. We've had lunch with them and, before. So and they have a little white, fluffy dog, poodle, or I don't know what it was, a little white dog. And then two houses down is this giant, I don't know what it is, like a half Rottweiler, half Mastiff, half whatever, 
just the devil himself. Just this big, mean dog. He, he tore up our another son-in-law. He tore up their dog uh, just because he got too close. We had to take him to get stitches. So Jeffrey's in the back, and all of a sudden, he hears Ella, this blood-curdling scream, just, no, 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 screaming. He had never, ever heard her even raise her voice, and she's out in the yard screaming. So he grabs his hunting knife. He said, he said the first thing in his mind was that, that Titan, the big whatever, was chewing up the little white fluffy and he thought, I have got to, I have going to have to get Titan. So he grabs his, his big hunting knife. He runs up the hill. He runs across the street. And there's Ella just screaming. There's no dogs anywhere. She's screaming. And there's Tion standing right next to Ella. And so finally Ella just, I can't take it anymore. And Ella goes into the house. And Jeffrey's standing there holding this big hunting knife. <laughs> And here's this little pharmacist, little Tion, standing there, you know, like this with his head down. He said, oh, Jeffrey Paul. He said, I've been so bad. <laughs> and Jeffrey's going, Tion, what happened? And he said, I just was talking too much about politics to Ella. <laughs> she got to the point where she couldn't take it anymore. So be it politics or economics or sports or medical issues, you know, if, if the world can't see where our eyes are fixed and the hope that we have, we're going to send them astray. So this is what Paul now, to these people who are losing everything, losing life, limb, everything else, says you guys need hope. More than anything else, you need to know the future. So I'm going to take you to the bottom of the ninth, okay? And that's what Paul is going to do. Just like a Cubs fan, if yesterday people were biting their nails, my, my stomach was just growling, wondering what the game was going to be like. And uh, if you were to know the, the score, if you, knew, if you were going to know what was going to happen at the, going into it, ah! Man, no sweat. I'll just enjoy the game. It's going to be 5 nothing. You know, we're going to win. So that's what, that's what Paul wants to do for us. He wants to take us to the bottom of the ninth. Or for us, it was at the top of the ninth. And um, show us the score. How's it going to end so that we can have hope? Here it is. Verses 16 to 18. First uh, Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You can imagine, for people in the church who have lost loved ones and friends and uh, relatives, etc., there's going to be the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive, who are left, We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds, meet the Lord in the air, and we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to see that phrase repeated twice in this section. Encourage one another here. So four things are going to happen, and this is just a super quick survey. Uh, if you want to go back to the, to the messages that we have in Revelation, you get the whole deal. But first of all, you're going to see a, a return. The Lord's going to descend. He'll descend with heaven with a cry of the command, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. 
Did you know that in, just in the Old Testament, there are 1,845 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Just in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there's 316. About for every hundred or so verses that you read in the New Testament, you, there, at, le at least there's more than two that talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's significant. That's significant. Matter of fact, for, for every one mention of the first coming of Jesus or prophecies of the first coming of Jesus, there are eight talking about the second. That's significant. Basically, and I'm going to make it real simple. I mean, this is the 101 eschatology lesson. What's going to happen then? Two things. Very simple. Two things are going to happen when Jesus returns. Number one, Jesus is going to gather the church. Number two, Jesus will judge the world. Those two things will happen. And they happen in a couple of different ways, and we'll see that in a little bit. But he'll gather his church together, those that have put their faith, their trust in him, who are his children, he'll gather them together, and the world who have rejected the offer of the Savior, he'll judge the world. So these three announcements accompany the return of Christ. There's going to be a cry of command. Uh, we see that in John chapter 5. Uh, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, just like in John chapter 11, when Lazarus has been in the tomb four days, he's dead, and all Jesus says is, Lazarus, come forth. Boom, there he is. So that's what is going to happen. The same thing is going to happen. There's going to be a cry of command. There'll be the voice of the archangel. That's uh, Daniel 12. That's the, the uh, great prince, or his name is Michael. There's going to be the trumpet call of God. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Behold, I'll tell you a mystery that we're not all going to sleep, uh, but we shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. He just says it's a mystery because it's not crystal clear in the Old Testament. Some things are very clear in the Old Testament. Some things are sort of hidden, they're veiled, they're shadowy, they're in a shadow form to be revealed later. Well, that was the mystery. The mystery, what we, we would call, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit later, about believers being caught up. The Latin word for that is rapture. So, you know, we as Christians, you might use the word rapture. You know, that was a mystery in the Old Testament. So that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, secondly, so there's a return. Secondly, there's going to be a resurrection. So he wants to encourage the people who are in the church today. Look, those of you who have been killed for the sake of Christ, they're going to get resurrected. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting, some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's, that's all the way back in Daniel. That's, again, the second coming of Christ. Uh, two things happen. He gathers the church. You see that in Daniel 12? He judges the world. You see that in Daniel 12. In the book of Philippians, he says, this is what's going to happen to believers uh, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So he, in other words, he's saying, look, this is what's going to happen. I want to, I want to take you to the ninth inning. I want to take you to the end. I want you to see exactly what's going to happen. Those who have died in Christ, they, two things happen. Their bodies 
And it's interesting, the Greek word that's used here is koimeterion. We get our word cemetery, okay? Koimeterion, cemetery, sort of. You can sort of see the resemblance there. Well, when you die, you get plunked in the cemetery. Okay, the koimeterion, the body, the spirit, immediately goes to be with the Lord. You see that, for example, uh, the thief on the cross. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today, you're going to, in other words, you're going to die. Your body's going to go into, into the cemetery, climaterion, but you, your spirit, is going to be with me. Today, you're going to be with me. Not later when I come, but today, you're going to be with me. Um, Paul even talks about that. We, we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. So, uh, the bodies then go into the climaterion. Okay, but then something is going to happen, and when Jesus comes, the dead in Christ will rise, and they will get a resurrected body. Now, just my take on the whole deal, a lot of people wonder, should you be just buried? Should you be cremated? You know, is it okay? Is it not okay? I would just say this. It doesn't matter to me if... Everybody, once you go into the climaterion, you're going to be oxidized. The only question is, is it slow oxidation or is it fast oxidation? Rapid oxidation, slow oxidation. You know, whether you burn is just rapid oxidation. Uh, if you're thrown into the ground and you just sort of rot away, that's just slow oxidation. Everybody gets oxidized. Uh, some people get oxidized in a fire. Some people get oxidized with a bomb. Uh, you know... I don't mean to be gross, but I don't think it's a big deal either way. To me, you could have a nuclear bomb strapped around you, and if you get blown up, for some reason, I don't think it's going to be hard for Jesus to put those molecules back together. I don't, I don't think he's going to scratch his head and wonder what's going to happen. Oh, let's just move on from that. Uh, <laughs> so... So if, for example, our spirit goes to be with the Lord, when do we get this resurrected body? We get the resurrected body when Jesus returns. So it's a resurrected body. It's a glorious body when Jesus returns. It's not like he's going to come for us. We get caught up to be with him in the air. And the, first of all, those who are dead rise. It's a resurrected body. Folks, this is not night of the living dead. Okay, it's, it's not that. It's, it's the day of the living Lord. There's a huge difference between the two. And that's, that is something you can really hang your hope on. That really is a star you can wish upon. So what about those who are still alive? So let's say many of us have friends and relatives who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, and they're in the climaterion, whether they've been just buried or rapidly oxidized. It doesn't matter. What happens now if, and at any moment, this could happen? Jesus could come to rapture, to take away his church, uh, to be caught up. It's the word caught up. Uh, what, what's going to happen? How about those who uh, are left? Well, we get raptured, caught up, and then, fourthly, we get reunited. We meet him in the air. How many of you have ever been to a, a big family reunion or, or a class reunion? I mean, you know how much fun that is? You know, I was looking, watching television last night at the thousands upon thousands, just literally in the streets of Chicago and in the stadium, hundreds of thousands of people. It's just like one big giant 
Cubs reunion. Think of the celebration there. Uh, folks, that doesn't even compare. doesn't even remotely compare with what is coming for our future. The truth of the matter is, this experience that is coming will top every experience you have ever had or could ever imagine. So I can say with absolute confidence that the most exciting experience you will ever have in your life, in your existence, is yet to come. It's yet to come. So no matter what you're going through right now, and I know some of you are going through some very dark, troubling times where you are weary and heavy laden. You know, maybe it, it might not compare to what those guys went through. Some of you, it does compare in that first century. You might be going through some hard times with your family, hard times at work, hard times. I mean, for some of you, let's face it, the, the political uh, atmosphere and with our country is, is a hard time for a lot of people. Um, you might be going through some tough, tough times, just medically, maybe you're facing some things. Um, the only point is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have something incredible to look forward to. So, if you're growing weary, growing faint-hearted, Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's why Paul, over and over, verse that's 5, verse that's 4, encourage one another with these words. Well, when is it going to happen? Jeff, come on, let me know. Pull out the charts. I want to see the rapture chart. You know, does it happen here? Does it happen here? Does it happen here? Well, let's find out. Now concerning the times, the chronos, the exact time, like the watch time, and the kairos, the seasons of times, brothers. Here you go. You have no need to have anything written to you. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security and suddenly uh, sudden destruction is going to come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they're not going to escape. So here's his answer. We're, we're wanting to know, okay, give, pull out the chart. Let, let's know when is it going to happen. Here's all he says. Let me give you two pictures. First thing you need to know, it's going to happen suddenly. Just like a thief. And the night, you can read about that in Matthew 24. So let's say uh, you were to go home and on Monday you were to get an email or maybe a letter in your mailbox uh, just telling you that, hey, I just want you to know, dear resident, uh, I am contacting you to let you know that next Friday night at 10 o'clock I plan to rob your house. So... Um, yeah, I want to cause as minimal damage as possible. So if you could just email to me where everything of value is in your home and tell me where you're going to leave a key, I'll, probably, I'll try and leave as little damage as possible. Uh, signed, it takes a thief, at therussiansdidit.com. <laughs> so, um, you know, you think, oh, that's crazy. 
You know, that would never happen. No, that's exactly right. That's the only, the only thing that Paul is saying here is, look, it's going to happen suddenly. You're, we're not going to be able to figure it out on the charts, you know. Nobody knows the times. If, if we think we figured it out, then it's not it because nobody knows the times. Okay. Secondly, it's going to happen with certainty, just like a labor pain. It's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen certainly. Question is, what should our attitude be about this? I'm going to give you one thing not to do, three things to do. Knowing that Jesus is coming again, one thing not to do, three things to do. The first thing not to do, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked that this is going to happen. You're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So he doesn't tell us, okay, I want to know the when. I want to see the chart. I want to know the when. He's saying, look, I'm not going to tell you the when. All you need to know is that it's coming. So don't be surprised. Three things to do. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let's cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. So knowing that Jesus is coming again, 1,845 times in just the Old Testament, 316 times in the New Testament, he's saying, I'm coming again. Okay, here's the first time. But for every one prophecy about the first coming of Christ, there's eight for the second. He's saying, just as certainly, if you believe Jesus came the first time, you had better believe he's coming again. What difference should that make in your life? And he's saying, look, knowing this, we should do everything we can by the strength of God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, put off the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. We talked about that last week a little bit. We talked about living in the power of the Holy Spirit, then if I'm doing that, then the fruit of the Spirit is going to make a difference in, in the way I look in life. That's the fruit of the root of the Holy Spirit. And it's also going to make a difference in the deeds that I do. I'm going to end up loving God and loving others and, and serving the world. It, it's going to mean having compassion on those around me. Check out the tape from last week. We talked about those. Uh, so I need to be alert then. So let us not sleep as others do. You better stay awake. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that he has fixed. So be alert. Be on your guard. Be alert. Don't sleep. Keep awake. Um, there, there should be a sense of purpose and alertness about our lives. We should be living a very full life with the armor of God in a sleepwalking world. Now, I wish I would have put this verse. So if you want to write down a good verse for you to look at in the Psalms, it's Psalm 90, verse 12. It goes like this. So, in light of the Lord's return, so teach us to number our days that, that we might get a heart of wisdom. And the heart of wisdom, hakmah, it's the Hebrew word hakmah, it's skill in living life. How do I live life skillfully? How do I live life in a way that's a blessing to God and a blessing to others? How can I live a life in a way that will glorify God? So it says, so teach us, therefore we, we know he's coming, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. 
Now, the next five Hebrew words are this. Normally, we don't, if we memorize anything, that's all we memorize. But listen to the next words following that. Return, O Lord, how long? You see how it's connected to the return? Teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Be alert. Secondly, be self-controlled. Let's not sleep as others do. Let's keep awake, be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for the the helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. In other words, the Holy Spirit's power has been given to us so that you and I can make God-honoring choices. That's what self-control is. Self-control means I don't give in to every temptation. Self-control means I don't give in to every idea. I don't give in to every opportunity. I don't give in to every seduction that comes across my brain. Self-control means by the Holy Spirit's power, I say yes to the right things and I say no to those things that displease him. First Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, therefore, because of what's happening, therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Isn't that amazing? For the sake of your prayers. Well, how do you say yes to the right things, no to the wrong things? Did you notice in that passage the three words, just like the soldier's armor, faith, hope, and love. Faith in him, love for him and others, and the hope that ninth inning is coming. We might not, this saying that's been said a thousand times, we might not know the future, but we know who holds the future, hope of his return. Thirdly, be, be alert, be self-controlled. Thirdly, be an encourager. Twice in this passage, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Yeah, I remember when I was um, left medical school, went to Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, working my way through Dallas Seminary, working at Baylor Hospital. I remember there was a time when it was so busy. We had so many patients to process and do blood work and all this stuff. So I'm in my little office, and the manager, was his name was Doug Kendall. I remember it as a wonderful Christian man, and I am so stressed. I am so overloaded. You know, my heart is weary, and, you know, I feel all, I feel all those pressures of, of Hebrews 12, grown weary, and I'm losing heart. And I remember in the middle of all that, just sitting there, and Doug Kendall, the manager, came into my office, 
And he said, Jeff, and he had a smile on his face. He said, Jeff, don't forget, Jesus is coming again. And it was just like, <sighs> perspective. That's right. Jesus is coming again. That's the hope. That's the hope that we have in Christ. Well, you might think, well then, Come on, Jesus, hurry. I can't, I don't think I can take anymore. Just get it over with. Come on, get us, take us home. You know, don't, let's don't wait for the election. Let's do it now. Uh, what are the benefits of waiting? Let me read two passages and we'll close. Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad Jesus waited for you? I am. Uh, to, he loves us. You know, God loves us so much, cares for us so much. Um, he's patient, not wishing for any to perish. So God calls us to be faithful, to be alert, uh, to be self-controlled, to be an encourager. Don't be surprised, though. In the meantime, you know, we speak as we were called to, to speak the words of the gospel as we set forth the platform of living forth the gospel so that we can love God and love others and, and uh, serve the world. Well, let's all stand up and I'll close with prayer. And then we're going to end by, by singing a song, All Glory Be to Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, I can hardly wait until the day when I am able to stand face to face with you and to thank you for all that you did for me on the cross. Uh, that's going to be a day I'm going to get to see the scars that you bore um, when you gave your life for me. I, I can hardly wait for that day, uh, to sing to you with other millions of other believers, to rejoice with who you are. And Lord, may the hope of your return remind us not to be surprised. Lord, help us, help us as believers to be alert, to be self-controlled, to encourage one another. Help us, Lord, to focus our lives not that other things aren't important, not that the election isn't important, not that fun things like sports doesn't matter, but help us to focus our eyes, to fix our attention on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that I don't grow weary and lose heart. Help me to be the witness that you want me to be of your greatest gift. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here who's not taking that step of faith and putting their trust, their faith in you and in you alone, oh God, I pray that you would give them hope. Maybe they're going through some really tough times right now. 
Lord, you have called us to repentance. You have called us to turn from what is obsessing us and obsessing our minds and grabbing our hearts. And you've called us to lay, to lay that down, to die to self. So thank you that you died for each one of us. And I pray that if someone here has not taken that step, that today would be the day that they would say yes to your invitation. Trust you as their Lord and Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. And may you get all the glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.